morning, my friends, and welcome to yet another Wednesday installment of the program. From high above all other puerile and pedantic forms of Wyoming mainstream media, this is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the silver Cowboy State Politics microphone and broadcasting to you from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to the program. Today is July 19th. We begin this morning in the cow pie with me. I know, kind of contradictory, but I didn't exactly write it for the cow pie. I wrote it for CowboyStatePolitics.com. It was a test, in a manner of speaking. The cow pie publishes op-eds from all of the Redcoats, most prominently Albert Somers and Barry Crago. So I thought, why not give them something different, something they're not used to, something the Redcoats would never submit to them, something truthful. As I'm sure you'll recall, Barry Crago's latest offering was chocked full of bullcrap. Bullcrap about his own voting record and bullcrap about what the Freedom Caucus did in this past legislative session. If you missed his latest piece of trash, he blamed the legislature's inability to reform or repair any of our property taxes squarely on the shoulders of the Freedom Caucus as if their 26 votes could change anything in the Wyoming legislature. Hey, Barry, 26 is less than 31. And again, and you're probably getting tired of hearing me say this, but Barry Crago is welcome to come on this program anytime he wants. I'd give him an entire hour. Well, the truth is, he probably wouldn't enjoy that very much, but I would give him as much time as he thinks he requires to explain himself to all of his constituents, as if he could actually do that since his voting record is so terrible. But I digress. Barry Crago wrote a piece of crap op-ed for the cow pie, and I thought, why not write one of my own and send it to the cow pie and see if they would publish it? And they did, to their credit, Thank you, Jimmy Orr and Rod Miller, for helping me get that submitted. A random act of conservatism on behalf of the cow pie. So we're going to title this whole segment, See, Barry, I Can Get Letters Published Too. If you'd like to read the entire op-ed, it's in the Letters to the Editors section on the cow pie, and I've also put it on the articles page at cowboystatepolitics.com. It's also published in the Wyoming News Chronicle. In the words of my friend, Representative Rachel Rodriguez-Williams, nobody, including Barry Crago, gets to pee in other people's backyards and get away with it. Here's part of my letter to the cow pie. Quote, At Crago's town hall, he quoted Mark Twain in saying that there are lies, damn lies, and then there's statistics. Of course, he was referring to evidence-based Wyoming, Wyovote, and Wyorhino, the three prominent legislative rankings websites. The only thing that evidence-based Wyoming does is keeps track of how often a legislator votes with the Republicans or the Democrats. If the data from that site is nothing but lies, as Crago says it is, then so is what Crago says about his own voting record. The last time I checked, 26 is less than 31 and is not a majority in the House. It is mathematically impossible for the Freedom Caucus to have stopped a single thing that Crago and his pals wanted to pass. Crago's Wyoming caucus has the majority in the House. 
Why were they not able to pass any meaningful property tax relief? Well, the Freedom Caucus couldn't have stopped them. There's only one logical conclusion. They didn't want to. Barry Crago can blame the Freedom Caucus for anything he wants, but like Al Gore's movie, saying it doesn't make it true. In Johnson County, we haven't trusted Cheyenne since 1892. Representative Barry Crago's votes prove we still don't have any reason to. Bump bump. Like I said, if you want to read the whole thing, it's at the website underneath the articles section. So it would appear that there's some funny business going on in Fremont County. Who would have guessed that? It is, after all, the home of Nancy Case. The chairman of the Fremont County Library Board, Perry Cook's term, had expired. And so Fremont County dutifully put out an advertisement for her replacement. To their great surprise, there was only three people that responded to their advertisement. Three conservatives. This created kind of a problem for the secretary of the county commissioners, Becky Enos, because evidently she doesn't like conservatives very much and likes the library the way that it is. Pornographic material in the children's section and all. Normally, this wouldn't be an issue. They'd just get Perry Cook to apply again and then appoint her to her former position. Unfortunately for them, though, Perry Cook said she was done being on the board. Equally alarmed was Anita Marple, the director of the Fremont County Library. Through an intermediary, Cowboy State Politics was able to obtain all of the emails concerning this affair through a Freedom of Information Act request from Anita Marple's email to Perry Cook, and I quote, Hi Perry, I just talked to Becky Enos, Commission Admin Coordinator, and she asked if you were seeking another term on the board. I told her you would plan to step down. She needs a letter of your decision. However, I would like you to reconsider and stay on another six months or a year. There are three applications for your seat on the board, two of which are ultra-conservative activist people. Tina Clifford is one of them. I don't recognize the third name. Do you know Marta Mossberg? Let me know what you think. Very much. Here's a link to Marta Mossberg's article in The American Conservative. I'm not sure what to do. That would make the only applicant so far three ultra-conservative activists. I could stay on and do something like be secretary. I don't want to, and I can't, by the bylaws, be chair. Whew. I could stay on until we find some non-agenda applicants. Let me know your thoughts ASAP. Meanwhile, I'll try to get a hold of Amy Anderson. Yeah, I don't know what you could do. You could try, I don't know, following the law. See, the only wrinkle in all of their library problems is the deadline listed in the advertisement for board applications had already passed, and Perry Cook's term had already expired. So Perry Cook was not and is not eligible to be appointed to the board. And there's a little issue that the whole board doesn't think that violating the law is a good thing. Kristen McClelland responded to Perry Cook's email in stating, and I quote, Perry, it seems you've decided to reapply to the board, and I think that, that is great, and you've been a valuable asset to the library and board from my perspective, and I look forward to working with you again should that come to pass. Now, Kristen McClelland is the vice chairman of the library board. Uh, continuing on. 
The email below caught me off guard, and I want you all to know that I find the idea that any of us would continue on the board after we no longer feel led to serve just to keep others off the board who may have a different viewpoint than us to be highly unethical. In fact, it is my opinion that we should not be doing background research and making an effort in any way to steer who comes on the board other than letting others in the community know about opening and encouraging them if they have a desire to apply. End quote. In the end, Perry Cook is still on the board. The county commissioners appointed her to her former position, even though the deadline for application had already passed and Perry Cook's term had already expired. This whole thing would have been different if nobody applied for the open seat on the board. But three people did. Three conservatives, one of which who happens to be a published writer. Not only is it unethical to exclude somebody just because you disagree with their political opinions, it's illegal what the county commissioners did. They advertised for a position, the deadline passed, the term of the person they appointed had already passed, and they still appointed Perry Cook to the board. Why should we have rules and laws at all if we're not going to pay any attention to them? If you're a county commissioner, your number one job is to uphold the law and manage the county. That's what you swear an oath to, to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of Wyoming, and presumably to follow every other law in the state of Wyoming, not to disregard it and push your own personal political beliefs. If we are lawless in the least, then we are lawless in the most. Rules are meant to be followed and laws are meant to not be broken, especially by those people who are sworn to uphold them. And think about this for just a second. The very people that are sworn to uphold the principles of free speech are the ones that are violating it. The county library should be the pinnacle of free speech in your city or county. It should be the one place that you can access any idea that you want, providing, of course, that we're not giving pornography to little children. That might be a problem. But there again, there isn't a single library that I've ever heard of that has a hustler and penthouse section. The library board and the county commissioners in Fremont County are hypocritical and absolutely unethical. Moving on. Since we're talking about free speech... I've got a conversation with Pastor Jonathan Lang where we discuss the Free Speech Commission's final report that was issued by the University of Wyoming. It's not what you think. They're not about free speech. In fact, they never have been. They're setting up the Thought Police. Isn't that great? And we'll do that after the break. But first, a completely outrageous profit timeout. Cowboy State Politics is brought to you by Morton Buildings. It's finally summer. Man, maybe that rain has stopped. Well, not completely, but it's definitely summer. And you should start considering build, putting up that building that you've been thinking about all winter long. You know, the one that will allow you to work indoors and stay out of the really, really cold Wyoming winter? 
Well, the best place to start is to call my friends Nick and Jesse at Morton Buildings. Their phone number is 307-674-2532. They're the experts in metal building construction. It doesn't really matter if you're thinking about a garage or a barn or maybe a giant roping arena or even a huge warehouse for your business. Nick and Jesse are the two guys you need to talk to. Again, their phone number is 307-674-2532, or you can check them out on their website at mortonbuildings.com. It's Wednesday, and you know what that means, don't you? Gun of the Week time from Gunrunner Auctions. The Gun of the Week is almost a carbon copy of my prized possession. It's lot number 114. It's a Browning High Power 9mm with a 4 and 5 8 inch barrel that was manufactured in 1969 in Belgium. It is a Belgium Browning High Power. This thing is a rare piece. Of course, it's a high power, so it's a single-action pistol, and it's in very good condition. It's got an excellent bore, fixed sights, and has a 98% polished blue finish with a little bit of blurring to the numbers and letters. And it's got some high-to-light edge wear. There's some light pit marks on both sides of the frame and the grip. It's got a gold-plated trigger, gold-plated safety, and a ring hammer. It's got a smooth action and has black Pacmar checkered grips with finger grooves. The blue magazine is in excellent condition. Any Belgian Browning high power is an excellent shooting weapon. I'm telling you, my friends, these things shoot like you're pointing your finger. It's a great piece, and it would be an excellent addition to any collection. And it can be yours. It's lot number 114 at thegunrunner.com. Now, I wouldn't be an equal opportunity host if I didn't have something to offer everyone. So, ladies... In case you haven't noticed, it's the middle of summer, and there are a ton of events that you're going to want to go to. And before you make that decision on what to wear, you need to make sure your hair is in good shape. And you want somebody that's going to do it right. I suggest you contact the Bombshell Studio. Christine Sturtevant is the only Redken specialist in the Sheridan area. The truth is, she's so good at what she does, it is absolutely worth the drive. So if you need a new do, a color, or maybe you just need to touch up on the hairstyle that you have right now, give Christine Sturtevant a call at the Bombshell Studio. Her phone number is 307-752-4844. New episodes of the program are published every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday morning. And don't forget about the Thursday live episode, which begins every Thursday morning at 10 a.m., You can find the link at CowboyStatePolitics.com or on the Cowboy State Politics Facebook page. And now, back to the program. Welcome back. David Iverson behind the Silver Cowboy State Politics microphone. Cowboy State Politics is Wyoming's most listened to podcast. So before the break, we were talking about free speech and how the Fremont County Commissioners have decided that free speech doesn't matter to them and they don't really like conservatives anyway, so they're going to do whatever they want. Well, the same thing is happening at the University of Wyoming. If you'll remember correctly, they set up this whole free speech commission. They were going to decide how to foster free speech at an institution that already claims to foster free speech. But the results of their report were, well, as you can imagine, not exactly inducive to the free exchange of ideas. I caught up with Pastor Jonathan Lang to talk about his new article on that report and get his thoughts on what's happening at the University of Wyoming. Here's our discussion. 
Joining me once again is Pastor Jonathan Lang. Jonathan, you're you're about to become a regular on Cowboy State Politics. Well, that would be a high honor, David. <laughs> How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm keeping cool and getting things done. You've got a new piece out on your blog, um, and I guess let's let's start there. Like, where can people find what we're about to talk about? So I keep a blog at, at jonathanlang.substack.com, and uh, anybody can go there and read anything I've written in the last uh, six years or so. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the, the report from the uh, University of Wyoming's working group that was appointed to uh, study, what do they call themselves, the Freedom of Expression, Intellectual Freedom, and Constructive Dialogue Working Group, uh, that came out on June 7th. And so I took the time to read that and wrote some things about it. Why don't you just enlighten our listeners as to what that thing actually contains? Well, let me just say, first of all, that uh, um, I think one of the reasons that I wrote about it is because I think that all of our listeners ought to read it for themselves and then avail themselves of the opportunity they still have before September 8th to, uh, to offer feedback to the university. Because if they see in it what I saw in it, I think they, the university needs to know. Otherwise, it could just get adopted as is. The 18-page report, uh, the first thing to say probably is that it was commissioned by President Seidel about a month before that incident that happened in the Commons um, in the Student Union last December. So in all fairness, it's not uh, that it was a, a response to the incident in the Commons, but nevertheless, it seemed to me that uh, the incident in the commons should have been a part of what they thought about. Um, but uh, that is nowhere found in the report. What it does is it goes through and it articulates some, some principles. Um, it, it has four sections to it, the articulating of the principles and the operationalizing of the principles, and then ways to communicate the principles, and then finally practicing the principles. And they offer 10 different ways of practicing principles and those are the things that i focused on mostly i intentionally didn't read the report because i knew you and i were going to visit about it um, so i wanted to just have you know the same reaction as you know some of our listeners would one of the things i did notice from your column is you pointed out a, dis a distinction between free speech and free expression what's the difference yeah, well, that's a, a really good thing to, to point out to begin with, because there are only three times in the whole report where the words free speech are used. And in all of those cases, they are kind of slavishly um, referring to the first article or the, uh, the First Amendment to the Constitution. Every other place, um, it is substituted with the expression or with free expression. It's really hard to get a handle on this because uh, nobody is really uh, that I could find on the Internet has spent any time talking about it. It's just one of these things that has kind of happened like what happened with in, instead of the free exercise of religion. Since about 2009, the federal government has been talking about freedom to worship. This is a similar kind of sleight of hand. It strikes me that there's a couple of things going on. One of them is that free speech, first of all, is unqualified in the Constitution. 
Um, and it is the individual articulation of ideas, either by uh, by words or by you know by spoken or by written uh, language. That's obviously what the uh, First Amendment is talking about. Freedom of expression is not necessarily, according to the definitions that I could find, it's not necessarily an individual thing, but it can be done by groups or by pairs or whatever. And what that means then is that the, the freedom is extended to, um, to activity, and activity itself gets substituted for, for speech, uh, which muddles the whole waters. And then, you know, if, for instance, you stand opposed to some activity, um, now suddenly you are against free speech or free expression. That's one of the implications of it. The way it was always described to me is that sometimes speech is expression, but expression is almost never strictly speech. By that, I mean that, you know, when, when you're talking, obviously you're expressing yourself, but that's not exactly how uh, it was intended in the Constitution. Uh, expression, as you rightly point out, is usually action. You're practicing something. You go to church at the Catholic Church or at the Lutheran Church or at the Cowboy Church. That's expressing your religion. You're practicing it. Speech, on the other hand, is written or spoken. I mean, is that how you understand it, Jonathan? Well, yeah, that's how I understand it. And, and maybe just to put a, a, a practical example on the table here, um, when you extend free expression to uh, to be covered under the First Amendment, then suddenly, you know, it, it becomes expression for me to go to a baker and have him make a cake that says what I wanted to say, and he's not free to say no. Um, that's, that's one of the uh, implications of it. Uh, the other implication of it is that... Um, you, you end up inserting all kinds of new um, rules and strictures on free expression, which then bleed over to free speech. And suddenly, you know, just because, for instance, it's not, uh, I, I'm not free to express myself by, by holding somebody up at gunpoint, um, well, then I'm not free either to say everything I want to say either. The, the two just get blurred together. And it has implications on both sides. Well, historically, the, the University of Wyoming has always had an interesting take on free speech, and usually it boils down to one group is free to say what they want and express themselves in whatever manner they so choose, while the other group has to put up with it and can't express themselves. Yeah, and that is exactly the effect that I'm uh, afraid is uh, written into this report. As a matter of fact, one of the things that came to me is that uh, the University of Wyoming, being a government entity, already has a, uh, a free speech policy. We call it the First Amendment. The very existence of this report and of where they're heading with it uh, makes me wonder what business the university has to curtail the First Amendment for any of its students. But as you point out, once you begin curtailing the First Amendment, uh, it's never applied equally. And there are some ideas which are uh, propped up and other ideas which are absolutely forbidden to say. When I first heard about this commission that was put together, a task force or whatever they called it, it struck me as ironic simply because there are several instances where 
people have been shut down for things that they believe or say. Um, you had the pastor, which, as you pointed out, that happened after this commission was put together. But they really don't respect free speech if you're a member of a particular group. Right. And, and that's maybe the other phrase that I wrote about that I wanted to bring in here. And that is this, this business of constructive dialogue. Um, it sounds like a really good phrase that the university is all about promoting constructive dialogue, but immediately you have to ask the question, who decides what's constructive and what's not? And uh, obviously the pastor thought it was constructive dialogue to, to challenge what was in the branding iron and, uh, and to, to say, let's have a conversation about it. He was shut down. This is not constructive. Well, who decided that? And that became an in infringement of his free speech rights. And uh, this is where it always goes. So as soon as you have the, the decision that has to be made on what's constructive and what's not, uh, then it's left up to whoever happens to be enforcing that decision at the time. And at the time, it was the dean of students, I think, who made a decision on the fly, which even the president and the vice president of the university didn't think was an obvious decision. And they said so in writing. Uh, it's just amazing. So what are, the, what are some of their suggestions? Well, some of the suggestions come out um, uh, maybe under a couple different categories. First of all, um, there are a couple of their suggestions which have to do with bringing in outside experts uh, who would conduct seminars. And uh, I don't know, I might even characterize them as struggle sessions. And, and, and again, the question is, okay, sounds like a good idea, but don't we have that already? Or isn't that called you know, classes in uh, the liberal arts. Uh, the, the, the liberal arts are supposed to teach us how to, uh, how to speak, how to think, and how to um, interact with one another. And uh, why do we need these outside people to come in and teach additional stuff? And then that brings the next question is, who decides? Who are the gurus that are going to teach us what free speech is and, and what free speech is not? And uh, we already can see that, you know, in that's already happened in, in terms of people getting shut down historically. The second thing that was that caught my eye is their second recommendation, and that is for the hiring of a full-time manager of free speech initiatives. And along with that, by the way, which I didn't write about, is the uh, an entire center, building a center for free speech. Um, and I don't know about you, but anytime I hear uh, the word center uh, these days, I'm understanding it's a whole lot easier to control things if you bring it all into a center, into a center-based location. Yeah. And so again, who's going to hire this manager and, uh, uh, and how is he going to operate? We already have a DEI officer uh, that is now, you know, running herd over everybody's speech and interactions on campus. And this would just be another layer of bureaucracy to do that. The third thing that um, caught my eye is in a couple of different recommendations, and that is to select certain uh, people out of the administration, certain people out of the faculty, certain people out of the staff, and then even certain people out of the students, and uh, train them up to be kind of the on-campus uh, gurus of free speech. And again, you have to, you know, they're supposed to be telling us what is civil and what is not. You have to just recognize that that's, it's called discrimination. When you pick 
one administrator over another and say this guy is kind of uh, the the leader of civility. Well, what does that mean about every other administrator? And you can go right on through the list of faculty and staff and students and say, you know, why who's picking them first of all, and uh, and and who is the government to say that this person is a better model of civility than that person. Uh, historically, the reason that the United States government put into the amendments that we have free speech is that civility questions and content questions and who's telling the truth and who's not, all of that gets sorted out in the scrum of public debate. But to put a layer in front of that and to tell people ahead of time, okay, now the guy that you're going to hear from is civil and the guy that uh, we didn't choose is not, is already a squelching of free speech. Well, and it's interesting to me that the University of Wyoming already has a free speech statement. They have It's been the same for a very long time. Let me just read it to you. And it's kind of long, but let me just quote it. In our nearly 150 years of pursuing both our land-grant and flagship research missions, we have sought to allow members of our community to better understand the ideas, assertions, arguments, customs, traditions, and beliefs of others. Our goal is the free and open exchange of ideas that A, addresses the very problems that confront the people of our state, country, and world, B, leads to the creation of new knowledge and understanding, and C, promotes progress. To accomplish these goals, All members of the university community are afforded the broadest possible latitude to speak, write, challenge, and learn in a civil and respectable manner. We're also committed to fostering civil discourse and creating a welcoming and inclusive environment for all people of all backgrounds. Within our culture of respect for students, staff, and faculty, we must support an academic and workplace climate where ideas and opinions can be expressed, debated, and and protested openly. And here, what I think is the linchpin of this statement, the entire campus is a free speech zone, end quote. Wow. Yeah. Well done. And you have to ask the question, then, then what exactly of that would they like to change? I'm not quite sure how to, how to answer that question, and it, it, it concerns me. You know, one of the things that uh, we should probably say here, because I've read it in a couple of different places um, after these principles have come out, is that the principles are being promoted by by saying, well, hey, one of the big principles here is institutional neutrality. We're, we're talking about finding ways to make the uh, the institution neutral. And, and uh, But what you just read begs the question. Yes, it does. We've already got an institutional neutrality. So w- w- what more do we need than that? Um, yeah, very good question. One one of the things that, uh, you know, among the recommendations that uh, I was looking at is right in the center of them, it's recommendation number five, and it kind of speaks to something that you and I are very familiar with, and that is, you know, when you have a voluntary organization or you have the, the absolute freedom in the public square, then in order to gain an audience for your speech, you have to win the audience, Right. Yeah. And uh, you have to speak in such a way that's uh, that's giving them information they didn't have before. Speak in such a way that uh, it's rhetorically winsome um, and um, and speak in such a way that that civil people want to hear the civil speech. But what you can't do is force your message onto somebody uh, through a captive audience. 
in the middle of their recommendations, when they asked the question of, you know, how exactly are we going to get out this word about the free speech thing, what struck me is the, the hijacking of virtually every institution on campus from dorm life to uh, voluntary groups to the current curriculum. And uh, the suggestion is that uh, that we can make use of all of these things to enter into these organizations with our message. And it makes you wonder, okay, so, you know, let's just say, for instance, that I have a voluntary campus organization and they want my platform in order to spread a, a message from some outside guru who wants to talk about uh, what, what he thinks is civility. What if I object? What kind of strictures and uh, impositions is the university going to put on, on that organization in order to, uh, to make us comply? Or if I'm a professor and I already have my curriculum set and I know exactly what I need to teach in order to cover this subject matter, you know, what kinds of, uh, of faculty pressures are going to be placed on, prof on professors in order to bring in an outside message? You know, that's, a, that's uh, an incredibly important point, Jonathan. I've talked to several professors at the university, uh, mostly when I was preparing for that big expose I did on the um, LGBTQ stuff happening at UW. And all of them told me that the faculty is pressured in numerous ways to to teach a specific stance. You know, for one example, as I interviewed uh, uh, Professor George McSorry, he's, he's an expert on the Second Amendment. He told me on any given week, he's got at least two or three people in his office arguing with his stance on guns. I mean, that's just guns, and you would think the University of Wyoming would be all about the Second Amendment, but I share your concern that, first of all, who decides what what is civil and free speech? And second, how are they going to enforce it? I, I don't think the average layman like us really understands the, the politics on campus and the amount of pressure that can be placed on tenured professors to oftentimes not to force them to speak, uh, but rather to suppress what they would normally say. Any free speech policy on campus ought to be figuring out ways to maximize their freedom and to remove those uh, kind of institutional pressures. I'm just not reading that in these recommendations. Well, I don't think those recommendations were probably meant to actually foster free speech, because if they were, you wouldn't have any of them at all. You would say, as their free speech statement says, the entire campus is a free speech zone, period. Yeah, I'm afraid so. I don't want to be, you know, I don't know any of the people that are on this 16-member board. I do know a few of the people that were invited to uh, talk with them, and I talked about them in my article. Um, but it, it, you know, so I don't want to disparage anybody personally, but it just strikes me that the, the prevalent atmosphere in America today where some people are are given the mic and given money to say things and other people are 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 having the mic taken away from them that this is this working group report is not working against that but is rather letting that momentum continue forward so you mentioned that there's a there's a there's a public comment period uh, with this report when exactly uh, tell us again when exactly that's that ends uh, that ends on September 8th, 2023. You can find a link to it um, in the first paragraph of my article. 
um, as well as a link to the report itself. Um, or you can simply Google the, uh, the, the working group, the Freedom of Expression, Intellectual Freedom and Constructive Dialogue Working Group and get that same information there. It's actually a kind of a web form. Um, and I have uh, not tried to use it yet. Um, I just looked at it and it seemed, you know, it's got some canned yes or no questions and then it gives you a space to uh, to add your comments. Um, so I will be interested to find out when I sit down at it to see how many words I can actually put into the comment section. Um, but that's when it is, September 8th. So you have about two months left, a little bit less. You know, and I, I think you brought up another really important point is that, that most people like you and I or just about every Wyoming citizen literally have no idea what happens at the University of Wyoming and how, in some cases, it's contrary to our, our very way of life. Yeah, I'm afraid so. That's uh, It kind of goes with Gramsci's march through the institutions and uh, the, uh, the educational uh, establishment across America has been co-opted at every level from kindergarten to the top uh, where there's a very, very strong bias that's uh, getting stronger. And I'm afraid that our own you know, land-grant university is, is not immune from that. So they need to hear from us. They need to hear from the common people. I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a, uh, a lack of will, but it's just, you know, when you're in a bubble um, and that bubble is described by Laramie, they need your voice in order to understand the bigger issues going on. Again, as Wyoming citizens, we have this unfortunate tendency to kind of stick our heads in the sand and think, well, you know, this other stuff isn't happening here, and we don't do anything about it. And in this case, absolutely, you need to make your voice heard down at the university. And because if you don't, we're going to end up with the thought police instead of a free speech campus, as they claim. Yep, afraid so, afraid so. So I'm I'm really hoping that uh, uh, you know I've I've had a little bit of interaction with the uh, working group um, uh, as a result of the article, and uh, and found you know some pleasant conversation, and so I'm really hoping that uh, that by some you know civil discourse that uh, we might be able to offer some insight. Um, that we might be able to actually make the University of Wyoming a, uh, a better place. I would encourage uh, our listeners to go and read it and to respond. And uh, don't take my word for it, but read it for yourself with a critical eye and make your responses known. Well, Jonathan, I appreciate you coming back on the program. Why don't you tell us one more time how we can find your blog? You can find the blog always at jonathanlang.substack.com. JonathanLang.substack.com. And Lang is spelled with an E. Well, again, Jonathan, thank you very much, and have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks for having me on, David. That'll about do it for today's installment of the program. Have a good rest of your week, and we'll talk again tomorrow during the Thursday live program. Again, it starts at 10 a.m., and you can find the link at CowboyStatePolitics.com and on the Cowboy State Politics Facebook page. But until then... From the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming, I'm David Iverson, and this is the one and only Cowboy State Politics.